All right, what's up, guys? Ian Cummings from Riggles Rag here with Nathan Britton and Jacob Kamaker. Last week, we touched on position battles. We went through the wide receiving core, cornerback, and running back today. We're going to hit you with three more. We're going through left guard. We're going through linebacker. We're going through defensive line. We'll start with the offensive line because I know Jacob did an article on Casey Dunn, the undrafted free agent who kind of took Sean Welsh's place. Uh, first off, Jacob, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good tonight. I'm glad to be on. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have you again, man. We had you last week, and that was fun. This week, uh, we're going to, like I said, we're going to touch up on offensive line, so let's get right into it. Casey Dunn, we'll start with him, and then we'll kind of work our way up. Uh, a lot of people were hyped about Sean Welsh coming in. Uh, Casey Dunn, he's kind of the same player, right? I mean, they're kind of similar. They're not the same player, but does he have a shot? I mean, I know there's a lot of unpredictability around this offensive line situation. So Yeah, so in terms of the offensive line, I think you're looking at the starting unit's going to be the same as it was last year with Chase Rulier just replacing Spencer Long. But beyond that, there's going to be a lot of competition. And I think they might elect to keep 10 guys this year because of the injury troubles they had last year. And you know, they may not be certain that Laval or Rulier will be really great as starters yet. I think you brought up Casey Dunn. I think in relation to Sean Welsh, like you said, um, I think he has become sort of the darling on the interior line, the undrafted free agent who could make the team. Um, Welsh was from Iowa and was a strong technician with a lot of strength. Um, Casey Dunn is very similar to that profile. He's a bit undersized in terms of weight. Right now he's under 300 pounds, so he'll have to bulk up a little bit, maybe add 10 pounds of muscle or so. But when you watch this guy on tape, his technique is fantastic. He played the center position, and he just did very well in that regard. So I think because he might be versatile enough to play two positions, he could make the roster as a backup and eventually maybe work his way into the starting lineup as a center, maybe not this year. Uh, but if that happened, he would play center and Rulier would kick out to guard and they'd replace Laval. But Dunn's definitely a guy to watch. If he can bulk up, there's a chance that he could make the team as a backup. Yeah, for sure. And he's got a lot of competition, though. And before we get into that, uh, you mentioned that the starting lineup's probably going to be the same. It's it's probably likely, right? It's probably likely that they're just going to roll with Laval because he's the most familiar option, right? I mean... Because playing alongside Trent Williams for, I don't know how long he's been here, but for a lot of the time he's been here, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they wouldn't have brought Laval back if they thought they had another capable starting option. <laughs> Ty and Secchi could do it, but I think they're, they're more apt to keep him at that swing tackle role. Yeah, I agree. I think bringing Sean Laval back uh, pretty much narrows it down to between him and Nasecki. I would have liked to see Nasecki there. I think that on that left side, when he was helping out when Trent was down, I think he fared very well. We saw last year he went on the right tackle, struggled a little bit. He, he performed well enough at left tackle that people were – there was those discussions of should they move Trent Williams inside to uh, left guard, which is I think we all think is ridiculous. So I think having him as an option there uh, to go feel right next to Trent helps a lot. But, you know, you look at the size-wise, he's not traditionally the same, you know, the size of a left guard. So I think they – they would look to keep him more as a tackle and have him as a reserve. So I think Sean Laval pretty much has that spot locked up. Unless one of these uh, younger guys, these undrafted free agents, come in and, and really show that they have the ability to maybe not be a week one starter, but play and, and start in the NFL. Yeah, let's let's touch on that because there's two guys in particular that come to mind when you bring up undrafted free agents on the interior line. I mean, uh, these two guys came into the 
came onto the roster last year in the 2017 class, and uh, they both undrafted uh, Tyler Catalina and Kyle Callis. They were kind of the big two last year. Catalina ended up making the roster. Callis ended up, he went to the uh, Colts midseason, and he actually started a couple games for them. He did really badly, though, and they waived him. So those are those are two guys that are just as interesting this year, I think, because uh, they're both pretty big guys, and you look at what the Redskins have done in past years with uh, Brandon Sheriff. You know they they value those tall guards, the bigger guards who can kind of use their leverage better. And those are both guys who have height and they're pretty strong for the position. I just you know it's just uh, consistency and stuff because we saw Catalina. He started a few games with the Redskins last year. Didn't go very well. He showed some promise. He I remember he finished some plays on run blocking where he just kind of drove guys back, but. You know, pass blocking was a big issue for him. I mean, do either of you guys see one of those guys making a jump this year? Because I know Callis was a five-star prospect coming out of high school. So he's always had kind of that athletic talent. It's just putting it together. A lot of players don't do that at the NFL level. But with the opportunity, with all the uncertainty at left guard, do either of you guys see that happening? Uh, I, I look at it as you have one of the better offensive line coaches in the league. You look at the jump that Matt Ioannidis made from year one to year two. Was was giant. Now nobody's saying he's there, anyone's going to be a Matt Ioannidis type improvement, but I think you can. You, we will see one, if not both, of those guys stick around. Maybe not on the fifty-three, maybe on the practice squad. And if if it, the injury bug starts to rear its head again, you could see a situation where they come in and outkick their coverage, for lack of a better term, just go out there and handle themselves very well on a consistent basis. Where we can say, you know, at the end of the season, whether we miss the playoffs and make it say we feel really good about one of those guys filling in at that left guard for the future I don't I don't know but I do think that for the short term you can see one of those guys maybe make a jump and have an impact on that line yeah I think one or both of them might have a chance to stick with the team on the roster or the or um, the practice squad I don't think either is going to really be a starting option what I saw from both of them in starts is that they're very raw prospects and they could make the leap to eventually become good backups I'd say Catalina, because he's more positionally versatile, he can play tackle and guard, yeah. would be more likely to stick around like he did last year. Uh, one name I want to bring up who could factor into the interior line battle is TJ Clemmings. I know he's listed as a tackle, but he struggled there during his NFL career, and he's also played, he played a little guard when he was with the Vikings. I think it may be in the team's best interest, especially since they drafted Jerron Christian, to move Clemmings inside to guard and just see what he can do, because worst case scenario, he doesn't pan out, you have to cut him anyway. Best case scenario, he could end up being possibly the starter over Sean Laval, because he was a well-regarded athletic prospect. So I'd like to see them try that, maybe. And, uh, you know, like you said, Callis and Catalina, they might have a chance, but I I see them more as practice squad guys. I don't know if they're long-term starters. Clemmings, I would just experiment with. That's kind of what I want to see happen. Yeah, you have a really good point. I mean, he was an athletically, you know, promising player coming out of college, and that's why the Vikings drafted him in the fourth round. I'm going to kind of mesh two of your points together because you both had great points. Jacob with uh, TJ Clemmings and Nathan, you brought up Bill Callahan. He's great at developing offensive linemen. He's developed Brandon Sheriff into a perennial pro bowler. Chase Royer, the fact that he even was competent starting as a sixth rounder in his first year is impressive. So if TJ Clemmings, if they decide to try him out at guard, I mean, who's to say that Bill Callahan can't coach him up. I mean, I don't know. He's got a lot to work with there, like Jacob said. Talking about this, all this disappoints me, though. Just remembering Ari Quanjo. I mean, reports, there was nothing set in stone yet, but reports were saying, you know, he was kind of getting better. He showed some flashes against Seattle. So, bums me out a little bit. You know, we didn't get to see what he could do this year, but uh, maybe we'll see that next year. So, 
But I guess we're, we're in consensus that Laval is going to be given the starting job just because he's familiar with the offense. But behind them, there's a lot yet to be set in stone. I want to bring up one more guy, and then we'll move on to linebackers. Bergstrom. Tony Bergstrom, he's one of my favorite players on this roster just because uh, he doesn't get a lot of love for what he did. You know, you look at what he did last year. He came in as a free agent, not a lot of preparation. I saw a stat after the season. He didn't allow a single sack in all his reps, and he got plenty of reps at both guard and center, I think. So I don't think he's in the starting conversation, but it's just nice to have that security. A lot of people say we're not very deep on the interior, but I think we have some good options there for depth purposes. The fact that he didn't allow a sack is promising. I mean, that doesn't say anything for his run blocking, but I like Bergstrom as some insurance, and I think insurance is even more valuable when you might not know who's going to start or when the starter is an average player. So let's go to linebackers. There's a lot of intrigue there too, but that's kind of similar to the run running back position where you've got Zach Brown and Mason Foster at one and two. What happens behind them though? I'll jump in, I guess. So behind them, you got four pretty young players that have a lot of upside. You really can't go wrong with who you pick. Um, Right now, it's looking like Josh Harvey Clemens might be on the fast track to winning that top backup spot. I know he's been working while Zach Brown has been out at OTAs. Harvey Clemens has been working in his spot um, at middle linebacker. So he's a guy to look at as a top backup. I'm a huge fan of both Zach Vigil and Sean Deion Hamilton. Vigil came in midway through last season. You're you're talking about Tony Bergstrom. Vigil was signed midway through last season, and he came in and eventually became a starter after all the injuries at the position, and he totaled something along the lines of 50, 55 tackles, something like that, career highs in that category. And he had been with the team in the previous season, but hadn't been much more than special teams fodder. Um, So I like him as a potential backup. And um, Sean Dion Hamilton, smart guy from Bama. Great technique, really solid player. If it isn't for the injuries, he's a lot better than a sixth-round pick. So I really like those three guys as the probable backups. Um, I'm not as big a fan of Martrell Spate. I think he struggles in coverage. But, again, if he were to make the team, he'd still be a strong run support special teams guy. So I think they're in really good shape there. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I, I like Sean Dion Hamilton a lot. I'm interested to see with the injuries because I know he's nowhere near 100% right now. Um, I'm interested to see if they try to get him on the practice squad. But, I mean, he's a well-known prospect. You know, people knew him coming out of college. I don't know if they'd be able to get him on the practice squad, which would mean he gets a 53 spot because they don't want to lose him if he can't stay healthy, what he can provide. So then you got to look at Josh Harvey, Clemens, Marshall Splate, and Zach Vigil. I like Zach Vigil. He came in, and he was just a brick wall in the middle of that defense when when, uh, Zach Brown eventually went out for the remainder of the year. I like what he provides. I like Marshall Spate, but he's too inconsistent for me. Like you said, Jacob, he struggles at times. And when he's on, I like what he does, what he brings. But he's way too inconsistent for me to to think that he would push Zach Vigil or even a Sean Dan Hamilton who shows promise. That, that's what I think. And Josh Harvey Clemens, I haven't seen too much of him, but I know he's more of a project. But you look at his measurables, everything that he brings, you like. If he can go out there and be competent, you know, he's not going to be one, one of the main two guys. But if he can go out and get valuable snaps, I think that's huge for this defense depth-wise. I agree with everything all you guys are saying, honestly. Like I said, we're too diplomatic last podcast. But uh, Josh Harvey Clemens, yeah, I think he's been promising. Uh, he's getting that third spot when uh, Zach is out. And uh, he's definitely got the height and the speed combined to make a big impact. He's a really good developmental prospect. If we see a jump from him this year, I'd be really surprised, delightfully surprised, because, you know, he's a seventh-round pick. You know, 
you don't expect to get dividends that early from that type of player, but they knew he was a project, an upside project coming out, so that would be great. Uh, and then Sean Dion Hamilton, too. I uh, wrote an article about him a little while back. Like you guys said, he's almost a starting talent if he's fully healthy. And I think I saw a report earlier uh, that he was like 90% healthy or something. So they're obviously being cautious with him, too, because I remember in rookie minicamp, he didn't do too much field work. He went back into the weight room with the trainer. So they're really being cautious with him. Uh if anything, if nothing else, that should be a vote of confidence because if you're being cautious with a guy, it's like you know what he can do if he's healthy. But So I really like him too. I, personally, I, I was very happy when they picked him in the sixth round. I'd almost forgotten that he was available because uh, mock drafts had him going in like the third or fourth. You know, like They're saying he'd be a steal in that round. So to get him in the sixth round, you know, I'm all for that, especially at a position we need to depth at. I used to be on the Zach Vigil team. But I'm leaning towards Martrell Spade, and I'll tell you guys why. Uh, he's definitely inconsistent, but I think the sample size is larger. I mean, in a smaller sample size, anyone can shine. I think we need to see a little bit more from him. I don't know, but Spade is also three years younger. That's the big thing with Spade for me, is he's three years younger. So maybe there's a little bit more upside there. But that's debating for like the fifth spot. I think we're all in agreement that Harvey Clemens and Dion Hamilton are going to get those third and fourth spots. And I'd be cool with that. That's a pretty strong linebacker rotation you're looking at. If you've got Zach Brown, who was the leader in tackles for a while last year, Mason Foster, who's a solid starter, Sean Dion Hamilton, who's got starting upside, and then Josh Harvey Clemens, who's got the length to be disruptive, you know, pretty versatile guy on the inside. So I think that's, that's a really good combination. I mean, there's going to be like synergy between Dion Hamilton and Anderson and Payne and Allen because now we got four Bama guys who all played with each other on the defense. I mean, how good could that be, honestly? That that could be very good. Um, one thing I think Sean Dion Hamilton provides that would help the defense overall but also help with uh, the synergy you mentioned with those other guys is you look at his size, he's six foot. 220. I'm uh, looking at Walter Football. His projected 40 time, we all know he didn't run it because he was injured, is a 4-6. That's not terrible. I mean, that, that's good for a linebacker. You look at Zach Brown's, one of the fastest linebackers in the sport. I think he ran what, the the high 4-4s, four so 4-6 isn't bad. I think he could, Sean, what Sean Dean Hamilton could do if healthy is kind of what we wanted Sue Cravens to do, kind of that linebacker hybrid safety thing, cover the tight ends, help inside, rush a little bit, get down to the box just move all around, similar to, you know, how we wanted Cravens to work. So I think that could be huge for him. In regards to the, the other Bama guys on this team, I think that I think that's big because, you know, they, you always hear that football, when you're on a team, it's a brotherhood. To have guys who came from that Alabama brotherhood where each one of those guys at least has one ring from a national title, that's huge. They're, they're just going to come in and be able to, to try to bring that culture with them. For them, for younger players, guys starting out, I think that's that's massive for a team that has really underachieved the past few years. I think that's massive to get that new energy and type of type of culture in there. Yeah, and I agree with everything you just said, Nathan. And one thing that I will mention uh, that I think is a weakness that you brought up of our current linebacker corps last year. They really, really struggled to cover tight ends. They had a lot of games early in the season where both Mason Foster and Zach Brown allowed big receptions for tight ends. And granted, the safeties can help a bit with that. But I'm thinking that if Josh Harvey Clemens is ready, with that 6'4 frame and that athleticism, he could find a role in the nickel package and be like Sua Cravens, like you had brought up. 
Because they kind of need to find that kind of hybrid defensive back linebacker. And that's what Harvey Clemens offers. And that'll help them patch their weakness against the tight ends. Yeah, I really like the upside of this group no matter what. I think they've done a really good job batting talent. You can't go wrong with any of these six. I actually distinctly remember, and I'm not proud of this, but I remember uh, uh, looking at the uh, available tight ends on the waiver wire in fantasy football. Oh, are they playing Washington? Well, I guess I'll, uh, I'll add them real quick, just uh, over the shoulder. But yeah, we, we didn't do a good job of covering tight ends. I remember I think we were, um, I don't know the stats, but we were not good. We were Close pretty, to the bottom of the league. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much running the league bottom. So that, that would be, definitely be a plus. And I think Harvey Clemens played safety in college, so moving him to that position. He doesn't have the draft status, the notoriety that Sue Cravens had, but he's got the upside. And I, you guys are right. I think that's flying under the radar. So I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for all the Alabama rings we got. Hopefully we get some new kind of rings over here. Uh, but we don't just need the linebackers for that. We also need the defensive line that's been emerging. You know, you saw the Philadelphia Eagles last year. They got the stout front four, the defensive line. You need a deep rotation. And I was a guy who didn't really appreciate that earlier in the offseason. But now that we actually have it, I kind of appreciate it more. And we have a pretty solid defensive line. Jacob, I'll let you go first here because I got to give you credit, man. You predicted Deron Payne from the very beginning of the offseason. And no matter how hard I defended against it, it happened. Uh, me and Nathan both weren't very excited when it actually happened. But we've warmed up to it now. I mean, what does Deron Payne bring to the table and how strong can our defensive line rotation be? Because I'm getting giddy just thinking about it. You know, stop me rambling. Let's go. So first of all, I have to say, I've been predicting Deron Payne since February, but I do. <laughs> uh, WalterFootball.com's Charlie Campbell was first on the story that the Redskins liked both Minka Fitzpatrick and Deron Payne. So props to Charlie for excellent reporting there. He really had the pulse on that. In terms of what Deron Payne is going to offer, at the very least, he's going to be an excellent run stuffer. And if the Redskins didn't believe that he was going to be a three-down player, they wouldn't have drafted him in the first round. Payne has excellent athletic upside, and he plays the nose tackle, but he can also play the 3-4 end in different packages because he's so athletic and strong. This has been a need for the Redskins for such a long time, and just he's the perfect guy to fit that need. He's going to help improve that run defense overnight, and he's probably going to be a better pass rusher at the NFL level because at Alabama, his main job was to create interior disruption and help the outside linebackers get sacks. That's why you see guys like Ryan Anderson have a lot of sacks despite, you know, Anderson's a marginal athlete, but he's strong. But Payne's athleticism allowed him to body up against guys in the interior. He's going to do that at the NFL level, but he's also going to be quick enough to get into the backfield. I, I just think that Payne is going to be a terrific player. At the very least, they have found a solid nose tackle to really fix their front seven and complete it. So I'm over the moon happy about getting Deron Payne. I, I'm very excited to see what he's going to do. And I think he deserves a lot of hype. I've written about this in the past, but Geis and Quinn are getting a lot of hype. It's time to start up that Deron Payne hype train. Let me tell you, he's going to be good. <laughs> You just you just took shots at the Trey Quinn hype train, man. I, I take offense to that. No, just kidding. But that answer almost yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> that answer almost sounded scripted. But that that just tells you guys, Jacob knows a lot about Deron Payne, and Deron Payne is definitely a fit. And the good thing about Deron Payne is that we didn't just get Payne. We got Tim Settle too, who settles more of a true nose tackle. And so what they can do here is the good thing about rotation. You know, guys aren't taking a hundred percent of the snaps. They can put Settle in at nose tackle for. I don't know, some of the time, and then rotate pain in there, put pain at nose, 
Jim Tom Sula and Greg Minoski can be really creative with this. I mean, Nate, are you excited too? Yeah, definitely. I think the addition of Settle along with Payne, I really, I, I think that boosts the value of each player a lot because you have the situation where, like Jacob said, you can you can put Payne in in different different uh, packages at defensive end, and you still have, or if you know, say the injury bug rears his head, you still have a true nose tackle. And, and like say Tim Settle, was, he's a developmental player, so you're not getting him and saying we finally have a nose tackle, and then he can't go out and do it. You have Jerome Payne to take that over while he while he continues to develop. So I'm, I'm very excited. Like like you mentioned in draft night when they took Payne, it was uh pretty ugly it wasn't between pretty. you and me because uh, <laughs> they, who they left on the board. But I, I'm warmed up to it. I think him next to Ionitis and uh, Allen is going to be beautiful. I think that there's going to be a lot more interior pressure this year. That's going to allow Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, hopefully, Ryan Anderson can you know get off a, a milk carton and do something <laughs> this year. It'll be a big year for President Smith moving forward. So I like this what we have on this defensive line. We're young. We have a lot of upside. And then if you wanted to keep Ziggy Hood as kind of a veteran-type presence or Phil Taylor, who showed a little bit of promise in the preseason last year before he got hurt, I think that's fine. I mean, this defensive line goes from being probably one of the biggest things you can complain about over the past few years with this uh, Redskins team to arguably their, their deepest and best position group. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, you mentioned some of the veteran options further back on the roster. We'll get into that first. Let's let's take it player by player just to fully appreciate what we got because we got something good, guys. I mean, Jonathan Allen was the top five pick, projected top five pick last year, fell to us, and I think because he only played five games, he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. Both him and Matt Ioannidis, you know, when they were a tandem, this was my argument for going against drafting a defensive lineman in round one the whole offseason. But now that we actually have another round one defensive lineman, it just makes it sweeter. This tandem was um, really incredible. Uh, when they were playing in nickel last season, uh, Jonathan Allen and Matt Ioannidis, both guys are very technically sound uh, after getting coached by Jim Tomsula. Allen has just really good strength, really good leverage. He's just got a feel for the line, which... In the heat, that's a really valuable quality to have. And Matt Ioannidis, the growth that he sustained in 2017, unreal. You know, he's got a wide allotment of pass rushing moves, you know, spin move, uh, swim move. He showed it all on tape, and, you know, it was really impressive. He dominated against the Raiders. So, And then Anthony Lanier came in late in the season, got five sacks in the final six games. So you look at this rotation with De'Ron Payne and Tim Settle now, that's five solid defensive linemen. I'm really excited. But the coinciding effect of that is now you have other guys getting pushed back. I, I feel like at most they're going to keep seven defensive linemen, but I'm thinking six is what the what the number is going to end up being. I don't know, but you mentioned uh, Phil Taylor. You mentioned Ziggy Hood, Stacy McGee's in there. Who do you guys think, uh, Jacob, I'll start with you first. Who do you think is going to win that final job? Because they all bring different stuff to the table. Yeah, so you mentioned those five. Those five linemen you talked about are locks, and they're all great pass rushers. The one thing the team might need is like a run run stuffing specialist, which is why Stacy McGee might get more of the love at first. But I think I don't think Taylor makes the team. I think he's too injury prone. And while he showed upside at nose tackle, we kind of have two solid candidates at this point. And Taylor's unlikely to be signed by anyone else, so they'll probably be able to pick him up midway through the season if need be. So I think it comes down to Stacy McGee versus Ziggy Hood and whether or not the Redskins keep six or seven linemen. I think if you look at pure ability, McGee's probably your guy. He's younger. He's a good run-stuffing specialist. And, you know, like, that's something that's valuable on this type of defensive line. 
But Hood's kind of one of Gruden's guys. Jay Gruden really likes him. He signed him as, like, I forget, a reserve future guy, I think, before Super Bowl 50. And he became a starter. He did everything asked of him at nose tackle. And granted, he wasn't very good at that. <laughs> but he was the only guy who could do it. And he didn't mind playing out of position. I think that type of leadership and that versatility may win him the role over Stacey McGee. Or it may convince Gruden and the guys to keep seven defensive linemen. Just to keep that veteran presence around, too. And in case anyone gets injured or the young guys struggle. If I were to pick, I would keep seven and keep Hood. Um, and I really don't know what they're going to do, though. I, I really couldn't predict. I think McGee's ahead of him in the pecking order, though. Yeah, I agree. Um, like Jacob said, I would like to see them keep seven and keep Hood. But if they don't, I think Hood is on the outside looking in. You look at not only the age difference, the potential that McGee has compared to Ziggy Hood inside as well as outside. But you got to look at the money they have tied up in him, too. He just He's in the second year of a, a four-year deal, five-year deal. I mean, that, that matters, too. You don't want to have that dead cap it. I don't know exactly what Ziggy Hood's contract is, but I know that if they were to cut ties with him, they're not going to be having as much dead cap as they would with Stacey McGee. So I think that alone could be a determining factor. But they like Stacey McGee. They, they, he was their biggest acquisition last year on the defensive line, along with Terrell McClain. Terrell McClain's gone. There's a reason that Stacey McGee is not gone yet. So... I think they, they go six and they keep him. He'll, he'll be the, the guy looking in. And similar to what Jacob said with Phil Taylor, I don't think Ziggy Hood is going to have a bunch of suitors. So if something goes wrong or Stacey McGee shows that he can't do it, I think Ziggy Hood could get the call three, four, five weeks into the season. Yeah, Stacey McGee's got $5 million average annual value tied up. So uh, it might it might be hard for them to part ways with that so soon after they sign him and he was solid last year. I mean, he, he had some downsides. He was primarily a run stopper. He doesn't really offer much pass rushing wise, but he I think he'd bring rotational value, just not at the salary that he's at. But I mean, at this point, you got your hands tied behind your back. I mean, what can you do? Uh, you're going to get dead cap if you release him. So like you said, that's definitely going to play a factor. Hood brings the experience. He's the veteran guy. And he's got versatility in, in the fact that he'll do whatever you're asked. Maybe not good, like Jacob said, but he can do it. And I think that mentality with such a young defensive line could serve a good purpose. McGee, he's a solid player, still pretty young. And then Phil Taylor, he's kind of the underdog, I feel like, in this situation. But he's done well as an underdog before, so we'll see what happens. He's got a stacked nose tackle position. He's not very versatile, so that may hurt him. We'll see what happens, though. Uh, Guys, we'll touch on all that in upcoming pods, but we're done here. A lot to look forward to in Washington. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll have another podcast for you soon enough. Jacob, Nathan, and Ian are tuning out. Thanks for listening.